oh, Friday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday. If you heard me say Thursday, that was your mistake. <laughs> Friday, Friday, Saturday. All right, I better get into the Word before I dig a really big hole. Are you ready for the Word this morning? The title of this morning's message is, Look Up. One of the most, I've, I've said this to you before, the thing I love about the Bible is it's just real. It doesn't gloss over. You know, when we read the stories of David and, and Abraham and even Moses, we see real people. And I'm glad they are real people. Because personally, I'm not Superman. And we hear some preachers, the way they preach it, they never, ever have problems. They've never had a hard day. Everything's always, as soon as they heard Mark 11, 23, 24, everything was always grand for them. And it leaves the rest of us wondering, well, what about me? I guess there's no hope for me because I'm not as super as you. But when you get into the Bible, the Bible just lays it all out. And one of the common denominators of all of the outstanding Bible characters is that they were subject to the same stress and even days of discouragement as you and I. And yes, if we're going to be honest, we have to admit we have those days. They were subject to the same things because they were human. They were men. They were women. People of emotions just like us. So when we read their stories, we get hope. In fact, if you could, Jalisa, put up on the screen Romans chapter 15. Verse 4, I want to read this to you. Whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us in how to live. So even though the stories were written about people a long time ago in a foreign land who spoke a language we don't understand, if we'll read their life stories, we get instruction. Are y'all here this morning? The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. Every one of us is at times vulnerable to the temptation to doubt. Now, I want you to hear what I just said. To the temptation to doubt. Not to doubt itself. But every one of us are subject or vulnerable to the temptation to doubt. Now, here's the thing about temptation. You ready? How many say the Bible's good? <laughs> I'm glad what's written is written. Because the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out of what? The temptation. So that you can endure. Every temptation, which is nothing more than pressure. You've heard me say that before. Temptation is a pressure. It's an external pressure applied to your soul to get you to give in, give up, or get out. And when that temptation comes, God, the Bible says God himself will provide for you a way out. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The way out 
of that season or that day or that time of discouragement and distress. Because God himself said, I'm going to give you a way out. You just need to know the way out. Where's the exit sign? I really don't like being here, so where's the exit sign? There's a divine exit sign. All we need to know is that is the way out. And in order to find that way out, I want to talk about Abram. Abraham serves as a model of faith for all of us. His place in the Bible is as a model of faith. He's called the father of faith. We're all referred to, if we're people of faith, we're called the children of Abraham. Abraham, as a model of faith, well, let's go read it in the book of Romans. Listen to this, because the Bible says he did not grow weak in his faith. Without Romans chapter 4, verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, verse 20, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And that's what most people know about Abraham. He didn't grow weak. He never wavered. Ah, contraire. He was no superman. Let's read the same verse out of the Passion Translation. Verse 18, chapter 4. Against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. And can I say this to you? God's declarations over you will come to pass. Not one word will fail. Not one dream will be unrealized. Not one vision left non-manifested. If God said it, God will Your descendants, God said, will be so many that they will be impossible to count. Verse 19. In spite of being nearly 100 years old when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. And that had nothing to do with old age. When Sarah was young, she couldn't conceive. Isn't it amazing how many times we believe... Now, but in six months, we're not so sure. When did a calendar become more almighty than God? We are such creatures of time, we think God can't do it because today has become tomorrow. But he's still the same God tomorrow as he is today and as he was yesterday. And I think the thing that God, and I'm, gonna, I'm chasing a rabbit, the thing that God wants us all to see is Him. Because see, the glory of Christianity is not our temples, our tabernacles, or our doctrine. The glory of Christianity is Christ and Christ alone, and Christ is unchanging. God is immutable. He does not alter. And so if we're going to be people with strong souls, we've got to learn to look up. Instead of looking around, or even worse yet, looking down. He never stopped believing, verse 20, God's promise. For he was made strong in faith to father a child. 
And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. Yet Abraham was no superman. He was human. He was a man just like you and me. He believed. He did not grow weak. He did not waver. Yet there were times, are y'all listening, when even the father of faith became discouraged. And there's a lesson there. I can't camp out on it, but I'll say this about it. God does not record our emotional state. God records our spiritual state. This, listen, this is why you can feel weak, but God says you're strong. Now, y'all ain't even listening to me. Listen, see, because we think that if we feel this way, God must see us that way because that's the way we feel. But God makes no record of your emotional state. He makes a record of your spiritual state. Many years ago, right after my wife and I moved to go to the mission field, a dear friend of ours had moved to Orlando, Florida to pioneer a new church. He got the church started. He was a, a young father of two small children and had just started a church. And one day after service, he had come home and his wife went into the kitchen to cook lunch and he said, I'm going to lie down because he'd preached his soul out. And he went and he lay down on the couch and his wife cooked lunch and when lunch was ready, she came to get him for lunch and he was gone. Two small children, just started a church, just finished Bible school. It's easy for everyone around to say he must have failed have you ever noticed that when you're in, a, when you're, I'm going to touch the book of Job. I wish I had time to preach on the book of Job because Job is an amazing redemptive book. But have you ever noticed that you learn this lesson when you read Bildad and Zophar and Eliphaz? Everyone's an expert when you're in pain. It doesn't matter how messed up their situation it is. It doesn't matter how many mistakes they've made. But when you're in pain, they always know exactly what to do. I want to tell you something. You better be careful who you listen to when you're going through a season. Because just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, don't mean it's God. Because when, when, when those three guys had got done talking, God said, you know everything they said? Wasn't me. I didn't say that but I'm jumping ahead too far. So this year, my friend's wife felt like a failure and kept looking for where they missed it. And she said that one day the Lord spoke to her and said, listen to me, Joe came home a champion. Joe came home a champion. See, this is what I want to say to you that many times, and when I'm saying it, listen, I'm preaching to myself right now. It's easy to preach faith when everything's good, but you really need faith when you're going through it. It's easy because your emotions get the best of you for a moment to think like I failed. But if your heart is strong and your spirit is strong and his word you've hid in your heart, God does not record your emotional state. He records your spiritual state. So in the book of Romans, we have God's viewpoint. Abraham never wavered, never grew weak. And yet I'm about to show you in Genesis 15, it really looks like he did. Can I say this to you? God has a higher opinion of you than you do. Yes. 
God, I'm going to say it again. God has a higher opinion of you than you do. Because he sees you as made perfect through the blood of his son. He sees you only through grace. He sees you only through love. He sees you only through mercy. Time was threatening Abraham's dream because it had been many years. <laughs> you know, the greatest threat to any of our destinies is time. The greatest threat to your dream is time. Time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. So that's why we got to fly. It had been many years since God had told Abram, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the desert. If you can count all the grains of sand, that's how many descendants. It had been many years, and every day Abram knew he was getting older. Every day he noticed Sarah wasn't looking as pretty as she once did. And he was beginning to wonder, is this thing ever going to pan out? And that's where we find Abram in Genesis 15. You ready? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, reading it to you out of the Amplified. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your abundant compensation, and your reward shall be exceedingly great. Verse 2, and Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm going on from this world childless? Now, do you hear what Abram's saying? Listen, take off the religious glasses. This is a man. And what he's saying is, God, what, is, what, what use is all the things you've given me since I'm leaving this world without a child? The one thing you promised me I don't have. And I'm about to leave this world. I'm getting older. I'm about to leave and I have no child. So what can you give me? Are y'all following me? He goes on. And he who shall be the owner and the heir of my house is the steward. Eliezer. Eliezer. I love that name, don't you? Eliezer. Of Damascus. And Abram continued. This is a man who never wavered. He said, Look, <laughs> he's telling God, Adonai, the Lord of heaven, would you look at this situation? That's what he's saying. Look, look at her. Look at me. Look at where we are. Look at what I'm going through. Look at how long it's been. Look. You have given me no child. And a servant born in my house is my heir. God just said that's not going to be your heir. And he said, look, it sure looks like he's going to be. Are y'all following me this morning? Abram had been made wealthy, but that which he desired and had been promised a child that he did not have. Can I say this to you? Your greatest battles in life will always be in the arena of your promise. 
I want to say that again. We got to understand how this thing works, man. The, the, the greatest battles in your life are always going to be in the arena of your promise. God, God had made Abram wealthy, but that's not what Abraham was discouraged about. He wasn't discouraged because God never promised him a great big business. That was kind of like a byproduct. He had a lot of employees and he was doing good. But he said, the one thing that you promised me, you promised me a child. And that's the one thing I don't have. I'm going to say it again. Our greatest battles where we most need to employ our faith will always, always, always be in the arena of our promise. Why do I got to fight so hard? Because the promise is so great. Mm. I'm blessing myself. Verse 4, let's continue reading. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Verse 5. And he brought him outside his tent into the starlight and said, Look now toward the heavens. Everyone say, Look up. I like to paraphrase it. And I can imagine, you know, here's Abram saying to Adonai, Lord God Almighty, would you take a look at this? This is all you're doing. Look at this. And God says, you want to step outside with me? Personally, I would have said no. But Abram stepped outside the tent and God said, look up. Look up. And again, paraphrasing, I, what do you see? I don't know. Lots of little lights. How many? I don't know. A lot. Then I can picture God saying, I know exactly how many. You see, Abram, I formed them. Like you make a snowball, I made the suns. I formed them in my hand. I energized them. I gave them their fire and their glow. And then I hung each and every one of them in their place. So I know exactly how many there are. You see, God was doing for Abram in his moment of dis discouragement exactly what he does for every one of us in our moments. Remember what we read, God provides a way out. And here's what I want to say to you. The way out is to look up. To look up into his wonderful face. Remind yourself of who your God is. And this is what he was doing. He was saying, Abram, you don't think I can do it because of your age. Look up. He did the same thing to Job. You remember I already, Job, when he was going through what he went through and his friends showed up and they all gave him their opinion and Job got so discouraged by what they said that he wished he had never been born. In fact, he went further than that. He, had, he wished that the day he had been conceived could be erased from the timeline. That's, he didn't even want to be conceived. And he called God unjust, unfair, and unkind. And then God showed up. When Job was despairing of it all and he was wishing he had never been born, God showed up. Put up Job chapter 38. I don't want to read you all of it, 
Because God spent three whole chapters saying, can you do what I did? Can you even understand what I did? You're so smart. Do you know how I did what I did? Do you know when I did what I did? What God was doing was for three whole chapters is he was declaring his glory before Job. Remember who I am. I'm not a man that I would lie. I watch over my word to perform it, and if I said it, I will do it. It doesn't matter how impossible it looks. It doesn't matter how much time has gone by. Remember who said it, because the secret is not our faith. The secret is the one who authored our faith. It's not about how great we are and how firm we are and how many verses we can quote. It's about who wrote the verses. He's the strength of our life. He's the source of our joy. It's not we ourselves. We got to look back up at him and remind ourselves he's God. And this is what God does when we're discouraged. And in some special way, he'll show up. And he'll begin to remind you who he is. That before your mother ever thought of you, before she was aware of your heartbeat in her belly, God had already formed you. He had already planned out your destiny. He'd already knew what you would look like. He knew what you would do. And he made a plan for you. And the Bible says it's a good plan to give you a future and a hope. God is good. So in Job 38, he shows up, and this is what he says to Job. And Job was like, you know, this ain't fair. It ain't right. It ought not to be so hard. And when I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Job, I understand, bro, because I've been there. And you have too. I know you have. There's been times when you were alone in your bedroom and you cried out, God, this ain't right. This ain't fair. This ain't just. So God shows up and he says, verse 3, chapter 38. Now gird up your loins like a man. <laughs> this, would be like, this would be like him asking Abraham to step out of the tent. I'd just say, I'm... You want to be a man? Dress up like a man. I'm going to talk to you like a man. And I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? He spent three chapters doing exactly this. And when he was done, Job said, I've been a dum-dum. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I ain't saying nothing else. And that's when his situation began to turn. Everyone say the way out is to look up. Remind yourself who he is. Because when we know who he is, then discouragement loses its power. Because it's not about how many days we got left. 
It's not about how much money we have in the bank. It's not about how many people applaud us or how many cry crucify us. It's about who he is. And if he's the one who promised, then we need to look at him. The way out is to look up. Hmm. David had his moments, too. Is this okay this morning? Put up Psalm 43, verse 5. And I just want to read just the first few words of it, and then I'm going to take the liberty to put another verse in there. But the very first part of verse 5, chapter 43, David says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then I want to look at Psalm 121, where David, the very same David, says this, I will lift up my eyes. See, God, he did it for David, he did it for Abram, he did it for Job, and he'll do it for you and I. He will come and reveal himself to us. He will show us his glory. He will show us his goodness. And he will say to us, and however he words it, your answer, my child, is me. I'm the one who said it. I'm the one who sent my word out. I'm the one who proclaimed over you your destiny. So it's really not up to you. It's up to me. And all I ask of you is to... Believe, believe, believe. And when we see him, believing becomes easy. Because do we really think the God who could do all of that? Imagine you're outside looking up at the stars. Is it even conceivable that the God who could do all of that would have a problem with this? But see, the problem with many of us is we listen to too many small-minded people and we look around and look down. And sometimes we're borderline forgetting how great our God is. He's not grown weak. He's not grown senile. He's not forgetful. And he's as good as he ever has been. We've said it before. Can I say it again? If, since he's the unchanging, is this okay? Since he's the unchanging one, if he was ever good, then he's forever good. And if he ain't forever good, then he ain't never been good. He can't be good and not so good. He can't be good and bad. If he's the unchanging one and he's ever been good, then he is forever good. He's good today. He'll be good tomorrow. And he'll be good the day thereafter. So all we have to do, the strength of our soul depends upon the vision of our spirit, not our eyes. If you can see him, the clearer your vision of him the stronger your soul will be. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, David said. From where shall my help come? Shall it come from men? Shall it come from the government? 
No, do you know that men will fail you? Even if their intentions are good. The Bible says don't trust in princes. Because when they die, their plans die with them. Trust in God. So David said, where's my help going to come from? Let's keep reading this. He said, my help comes from the Lord. So David said, I'm going to look up. Let me ask you a question. David said, I'm going to look up toward the mountains. Do you look down at mountains? Now, remember, there were no Boeing 747s in David's day. So don't say, well, pastor, you know, if you're flying, you look, zip it. In David's day, if you were to look at a mountain, how did you look? So David said, I'm looking up as if I'm looking at mountains. And the realization hit him from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Mm. Then let's go finish off verse five. He said, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now let's go back to Abraham. I got, I got to finish this up. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. We're going to pick the story back up. And Abram believed the Lord after he looked at the stars. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Verse 8. But Abram replied. <laughs> Abram believed, but... Wait, 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 wait. Abram believed, but... <laughs> Y'all ever been there? God, I believe, but... Abram believed God. Verse 6. Verse 8. But he... But... But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Everyone say the way out. Just to look up. And see, if Abram went through what he went through, and achieved what he achieved. And the world, the nations are still blessed today because Abraham's faith did not waver. Then God is just as faithful to you as he was to Abram. And he's just as concerned about the promises and the declarations he's made over your life as he was over Abraham's life. Because you are not less significant than Abraham. You might not have the same calling, but you are just as important in the economy of God as was Abraham. In fact, doesn't the Bible say that those in the new covenant, the weakest, the least significant in the new covenant, are greater than the greatest of the old? Then do you think that God will do less for you than he did for Abram? Okay, I got one no, sir. I'm going to try this again. Scan for dramatic effect. Do you suppose you're less important to Almighty God? Do you suppose that you, the promises and the declarations He's made over your life are any less important? Then will He not do for you at least as much 
as he did for Abraham. But pastor, I'm walking through it. I know, so am I. We're walking through it together, but saints, this is it. We're walking through it. We're going to come out on the other side because he who promised, he who promised, he who promised, he's the faithful one. And even when I feel weak, that don't make me weak. Because God doesn't record my emotional state. And I'm so glad. And you better be too, because if God recorded your emotional state, he would coach you a nut. Because you know how emotions are. You're happy one minute, you're sad the next. One day you feel like you can conquer the mountains, the next day you feel like you're underneath them. If God recorded your emotional state... <laughs> but he only looks at your spirit. And in your spirit, you look a lot like his son. You're spiritually strong. So the Lord says in verse 9, I'm trying to hurry. Is this okay this morning? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. Change what you just got the image in your mind. Because, you know, you've looked at you old heifer. That ain't the heifer he asked. <laughs> Bring me an old heifer. <laughs> I got just the heifer for you, God. <laughs> I was just with Jesse Duplantis. It rubbed off. All right. <laughs> A three-year-old female goat a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Verse 10, so Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. And then he cut each animal down the middle, and he laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures, verse 11, swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. According to one of the greatest theologians of modern times, if not all time, Dr. Jack Hayford, says that at this moment, all... Abram built yet another altar. And this is important. The altars of old are not like the altars of today, made of polished marble, carved wood, beautiful to behold, precious stones and gold. The, the altars of Abram's day would have been made of jagged rocks, broken stones, things he picked up off the ground. See, what God is telling Abram in the building of an altar is bring me the broken things. Bring me those hard things. See, God doesn't want you to hide your brokenness. God's not asking you to disguise your pain. He's not asking you to keep it hidden. He says, I want you to bring me those things. Bring me the broken pieces of your dream. Bring me the broken pieces of your heart. Bring me those things that are jagged and you had to dig up out of the dirt because you tried to bury them. Bring those to me and let's make an altar of all those things. Individually ugly, but collectively they're an altar. 
And we bring them together. Now this, remember, after he looked up, I'm trying to hurry up here. He looked up, then God said, I want you to make me an altar. And we're going to do what on an altar? What do you always do on an altar? Sacrifice. What have we been preaching about the last three weeks? Sacrifice of... So what the imagery is, is God is saying to all of us, bring me your brokenness and sing my praises over your brokenness at the altar of all the things that are hard in your life. You bring them together, then you offer me a sacrifice of praise. Did he not say, I'll give you beauty? And then verse 11, vultures swoop down. There's so many lessons in here. See, the very things that you've struggled with that have been broken and shattered and fragmented, those become the most beautiful altars in your life if you'll bring them to God. I want to say it again because too many of us, see, the church demands perfection. I, I call it the doctrine of the Pharisee. We've got to pretend everything's okay all the time and we can't ever reveal the, so we suffer in silence and the brothers don't strengthen one another. The brothers weaken one another because if they ever found out I had a moment of doubt, they would crucify me. But God says, that ain't me. Remember, Job, all the things they say, that ain't me. What I want you to do, I want you to bring me the broken pieces. I want you to gather up all of the fragments of your life and bring it to me and walk. Worship me over and atop of those things. Then the vultures came. And the vultures, vultures will always swoop in to steal your worship. You're there and you're having a time with God. You're pouring out your soul, you're crying, you're one step away from your breakthrough and your phone rings. And you stop worshiping to answer it. Everyone say vulture. Have you ever noticed you could be in a church service having a wonderful time with God and someone will tap you on the shoulder and say, why they got so many boxes laying around the walls? You notice how messy this place is? And you come out of that worship time to answer questions about cardboard. Everyone say, vultures. When you're at that moment of transformation where God is just about to give you the revelation you need to make your dream come true, make sure you don't entertain the vultures who come down to eat the carcass of your worship. Chase them off. You can, you can refuse to answer the phone. You can look at them and say, nah, nah, baby, shut up. I'm, I'm worshiping over here and give God that that sacrifice. Are y'all listening to me? Have you ever noticed that in that time? That's when uh, that's when all the interruptions come. Have you ever noticed when you try to read your Bible? That's when everything happens. Everyone say vultures. You got to chase them away. And that's what Abram did. He chased away the vultures. Verse 12, I'm bringing this to a close. Then I'm not bringing it to a close. Is this okay? Verse 12, Genesis 15, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness 
came down over him. Verse 17, And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. The Bible's very deliberate in the words it uses. It was a terrifying darkness. Sometimes the hardest moments of life are immediately after the sweetest. That's what makes it so perplexing. You just hear an amazing prophetic word and then you enter into the battle of all battles. You just have a wonderful time of revelation and then it seems to all fall apart. You come out of COVID stronger than you were and you feel like a bullet's getting shot in your head. A terrifying darkness had enveloped Abram just after all of this. But then he saw smoke and fire. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. He saw smoke and fire. And the light chased away the darkness. And God, at that moment, began to tell Abram about the whole exodus, the journeying in, in Egypt. And he began to tell Abram, your descendants, your descendants. Well, let me just, I'll bring it to a close. Let's go there. God's remedy for Abram is the same remedy you and I need. And I want to give you four things. Then I'll read one verse, and then I'll dismiss you. Number one, look up. Look up. It's such a simple thing to do, but it can be so hard when you're discouraged. To encourage your own soul. Everyone say, look up. Number two, build an altar. That means bring him the thing that's causing you pain. Lay it before him. Don't try to hide it. You know one of the things that I discovered about God? He already knows. I mean, sometimes we're not even honest in the way we pray because we try to pray in King James thinking that'll impress him. Oh, thou with Lord, if that reigneth above it, the skyeth. I loveth thee, I have always loveth thee. I loveth thee this morning and I loveth thee in the afternoon and I've always loveth thee. And on the inside, you feel like you're dying and you don't want to come before God and just say, Father, I'm confused and I'm hurt. What God wants you to do is he wants you to bring those things because he already knows. And it's not a lack of faith. It's actually an abundance of faith saying that God, the goodness of my God is greater than the pain of that moment. And so I bring this to God and I say, God, here's another jagged stone to lay on the altar. And over this jagged stone, I'm going to offer you the worship and the praise, the sacrifice of my lips. I'm going to sing about your glory on top of the stone of my pain. Number three, we sacrifice. Number four, we chase off the vultures. And then the last verse I'll read to you today, today, Genesis 15, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure. Do you see that? I like that. You, everyone say that means me, can be sure. You can be sure. Sure of what? Sure that his promise will not fail. Yes, sir. 
For God said to him, you can be sure that your descendants, your descendants, not your servants, not your employees, your offspring, you can be sure. Abram, I know right now you don't even have a child, but you can be sure. Right now, you don't have any money, but you can be sure. Right now, you have nowhere to go, but you can be sure. Yes, sir. Why? Because I've looked up. I built an altar. I sacrificed. I chased off the vultures. And then God can come in in the midst of the darkness and say, here I am. Would you stand to your feet this morning?